This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive uh, Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Tucker Thompson. Tucker has a background in investment banking as well as real estate syndication. So welcome to the show, Tucker. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, really happy to be here. What else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Um, sure. So, I mean, I guess I can I can give my quick background. Uh, as you mentioned, started out my career in investment banking and then did a few years in private equity. Um, that wasn't actually real estate focused. It was more traditional private equity of, uh, of companies, um, like leveraged buyouts of, of companies, not real estate focused. Um, but while working in private equity, I kind of started getting more interested in ways to generate passive income. Um, and actually, one of my coworkers uh, at the private equity fund I was working at was, actually had similar interests as me. And we actually started um, investing together um, probably five years ago now, um, starting out just buying um, a couple of student rental houses in Columbia, South Carolina for uh, University of South Carolina students. Um, at the time, we weren't working together really or pooling our money together, but we were kind of investing in the same areas and always talking about it together. Um, and that's kind of where our pathway to real estate got started, um, really just looking for ways to generate passive income. Excellent. Yeah, there's lots of ways to get started, but that's a pretty common one to start with that sort of property. And then currently, do you invest passively or actively or a bit of both? Um, so right now, I'd say we're we're fully active. Um, we uh, After we had purchased a few of those two rental houses that I mentioned earlier, we kind of put our heads together and said, you know, we we love finding these deals and investing in them. And, you know, we have a lot of experience in finance and know a lot about debt and equity and underwriting through our all of our experience in private equity investment banking and now we're starting to learn more about real estate um so how can we work together to start doing bigger deals and so that's when we kind of transferred to more of the active side where we were starting to do more syndications in in 2021 um and actually the the first deal that we put together um, was for a portfolio of those student rental houses. Um, we got to know the brokers in the area really well. We felt that we understood the market really well, having been invested in them ourselves for the past couple of years. And this opportunity kind of came to us um, that we jumped on. And that was kind of the, the transition from being more of like a passive investor to more actively putting together deals and stuff like that. And that went really well and um kind of gave us more confidence to start looking at other at other opportunities uh in traditional multifamily. So we kind of made the pivot from doing single family student rentals type type style investments to actually buying apartment buildings and doing more of a value add play, which is much more hands-on and, and active. And then is your portfolio more focused on multifamily now or the uh, student housing? Yeah, so it's multifamily focused now. Um, we felt that with multifamily, we could look at more opportunities and felt that it would ultimately be more scalable um, while also being able to take more of a specific geographic focus. So 
on the student rail side, since it was a little more niche, we felt that we were casting a wide net kind of all across the eastern half of the U.S. Um, with multifamily, we're able to focus on Virginia and the Carolinas, where me and my partner are from, and just know those areas much better um, than a lot of places that we were looking at for student rentals. Um, and so we're kind of investing in our backyard while also having the opportunity to look at more actionable opportunities than we probably would have if we were just in the student rental niche. Mm, yeah, um, that makes sense. And then on top of that, um, we just find that there's often a lot more upside uh, with value add investments. Um, a lot of the student rental deals we were looking at were very much stabilized already and little upside in terms of going in and making operational improvements and growing NOI. And what's the ideal kind of property that you're looking at with multifamily to buy? Like what's your buy box? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, really focused on Virginia and the Carolinas. Um, I grew up in Virginia and my partner Mac is from North Carolina. So one, focusing on markets that we know well and have a good network there and kind of understand the trends, uh, where to buy, what, where not to buy, um, those types of things. And then within that, really looking for those class C, C plus, B minus type properties, um, preferably 1980s plus. We will look in the 70s, but um, once you get into the 60s or 70s year of construction, you really start to have to be careful about plumbing. Um, and we've seen a few instances in diligence where we could anticipate that that would be probably a significant uh, issue during a whole period. So we're really trying to look at 45 year and younger properties. Um, and then ones that where the current owner um, hasn't been investing in them enough to keep them up to market and has been um, maybe mismanaging them or conservatively managing them. Um, a really good example of that is the most recent investment we made uh, in Virginia. Um, the current owner had owned these two apartment buildings for probably 25 years um, and had not invested in the properties very much. There was a lot of deferred maintenance. The curb appeal had kind of fallen behind. Um, and uh, a lot of the rents were just frankly really far below market as well. Um, and so since we've acquired it, we've been able to kind of come in, rejuvenate the properties a lot, take care of some uh, significant deferred maintenance. Um, some of the electrical stuff in one of the apartments was actually almost at the point of where it was a fire hazard. So we were able to take, take care of some important things like that. And then also imp improve the curb appeal and renovate some units and, uh, really push rent significantly um, since we've kind of made all those improvements. Yeah, there's really a lot of opportunity with that deferred maintenance, I noticed, because the number one reason residents move out is because of maintenance not being addressed appropriately or, or timely. And then you can come yeah. in, take care of that uh, deferred maintenance, and then be able to attract and retain better tenants uh, going forward. And that really helps the bottom line. So we're actually looking at an opportunity right now um, that we submitted an LOI on uh, this week um where i was walking the property this past weekend and struck up a conversation with one or two of the tenants that were um just around outside the buildings and they had said that um this is a 90 unit property and that um the owner had had taken away on-site uh management so with like a 90 unit property um you should really have an on-site manager there given the number of units that are 
are in the development. Um, and so there's an office that's basically vacant and um, the tenants I had spoken to had said that um, since that person left about like a year or so ago, the kind of the whole community had gone downhill, maintenance requests weren't being fulfilled quickly um, and the property just wasn't being maintained properly. And so, you know, you start talking to tenants and you hear that they're frustrated with that and considering moving on to other places. Well, we see that as an opportunity to kind of come in and and fix some of the uh, some of the mistakes the current owner may have made um, uh, just to try to save a buck. Um, when if you kind of take that more longer term approach um, and investing in the property, you can actually ultimately lead to to better outcomes and happier tenants. Exactly. It's a lot cheaper to keep up with maintenance than uh, to have a whole bunch of stuff pile up, you know, because you yeah. have all those other costs that are maybe hidden that happen as a result, you know, people moving out yeah. and then the higher turn costs and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, vacancy goes up, turnover costs grow up. And so um, you might not be able to connect the dots from being able to like say, hey, we invested a couple thousand dollars to replace this HVAC unit. Um, it's kind of hard to draw the line from that to reduced turnover and um, reduce turnover and vacancy. Um, you can't draw that line directly, but those things definitely kind of influence each other. And so taking that approach can can definitely, um, yeah, improve, improve the net value over the long-term. Exactly. And how are you finding your deals? Um, at first it was, it was tough, honestly. Um, when we were first kind of, starting to look at larger opportunities. My partner, Mac, and I both still had full-time jobs. So for about two years, we were doing this on top of our day jobs and um, getting traction and consistent deal flow was could be hard at times. Um, felt that some brokers might not have taken us as seriously because this wasn't our full-time job. Um, but now that we've gotten two acquisitions close and one exited um and now that we're kind of committed to doing this full-time under sweet bay capital um that deal volume has improved significantly um starting to see a lot more off-market opportunities um this year for sure um for example that that deal i just mentioned that we just submitted an loi on um the current owner sent it to a broker in the area and he was our first call and we've been able to kind of get information faster and move faster and be the most credible offer that he's received yet, because I know that we've just been able to move that quickly um, because of those relationships. And that's kind of what we prioritize now. Um, a lot of times when you see listed opportunities, it's not even worth spending time on it um, because they're just so competitive and, um, if they are on a Corexi or a LoopNet by that time, then um, a lot of people have already looked at them and it's probably just, it's probably been picked over and, and not a good at investment at the price. So we really try to focus on the, the off-market or even direct outreach. Yeah, I've heard it said LoopNet is where deals go to die. But uh, yeah, I, I do yeah. know of people who have found good deals on there when they you find can, the opportunity. You yeah, You can, um, but it's, 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 uh, it's hard and yeah, you know, it takes time to kind of sift through a lot of them. 
Yeah, but I hear you with the approach of you know, building that track record and showing those brokers that, like, hey, we've been able to close deals before because brokers want to sell deals yeah. and they want it to work out with the sale. So if they can see like, oh, you're somebody who can close on the deal and make it happen, we want you to see this deal before we send it out publicly. So yeah, uh, and we and with that, I mean, we really try to. I mean, that's another thing. I was going back to like kind of like the long term investing, long term approach that I was talking about the properties earlier. I mean, we view that with relationships the brokers too or really anyone i mean um if you want to be able to consistently invest in a market you can't burn a relationship with a broker who's really kind of the gatekeeper in a lot of ways and so we really try to be one very responsive uh and try to give quick feedback when we do get new opportunities um just so people can know if we're interested or not and kind of at what price. We really value relationships with brokers. I mean, they're really the kind of the gatekeepers for a lot of these transactions. They all, they know all the owners and we kind of take a long-term approach with those relationships as well. Um, I mean, we try to give really quick feedback and try to be transparent um, with where we are. And um, we've really tried to do that with our investments and our investors and really any relationship we have is all about the long-term and um, trying to maintain those relationships. Great. And then tell me about how you and Mac, your partner, divvy up the responsibilities in a syndication. So each person I'd say is kind of responsible from the, from the start for a deal. So I am kind of responsible for the Virginia market. Mac is kind of responsible for the North Carolina market where he lives and knows. And then we both kind of split up South Carolina and so um, as a deal comes in, um, normally one of us will kind of take the lead role on that and kind of lead all of the, the diligence process. And then the other partner kind of sanity checks everything that that the other person is doing. Um, so that way um, the one of us isn't kind of missing anything. And then, you know, we can get feedback from the other partner and making sure that we're not making any crazy assumptions or anything like that. Um, I find that a lot of times if, if you find a deal or someone brings you a deal and um, you kind of start viewing it as like your deal and you might get kind of overexcited about it. So it's kind of nice to be able to take the lead on something and then kind of present where you're coming out on things to the other partner. So we can kind of like I said, sandy checky where you might be getting a little too over optimistic. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of how we work together. Makes sense. Um, and so for the passive investors out there who are exploring and kind of you know, looking at different sponsors to invest with, how could a passive investor determine if you and Mac are a good match for what they're looking for? Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a, a couple of things that we really pride ourselves on. Um, one is being very hands-on with our investments. Um, I think probably to the chagrin of the property managers, um, we are in constant communication with them. Um, weekly Zoom calls on Mondays, and then really, frankly, texts and phone calls throughout the week. I mean, we really fret over the little things. Um, I mean, real estate is a is often about dollars and cents, and those things really add up over time. So if we can be more hands-on and save a little bit here and there by um, just taking the time to think through decisions with property managers, then we think that actually really adds value as those things start stacking on top of each other. Um, another piece is I'd say that um, we try to take a really conservative approach with underwriting. Um, 
for example, you know, we're always assuming cap rate expansion, um, kind of regardless of what the macro condition is. Um, a lot of people today might be thinking that you might be able to get away with cap rate compression if you assume that interest rates are going to fall in like a year or two. Um, but we really try to assume that market conditions will either be the same or worse at exit. Um, and then we also try to incorporate a, incorporate a lot of buffers into things like our exterior CapEx expectations or interior CapEx renovations. Um, and even oftentimes we'll, we'll model higher uh, like operating cost reserves than what like the agency agencies might require um, just to make sure we have an appropriate margin of safety on all of these investments. Um, and then also things like you, you might get away with like a little trick if you assume that your market rent growth is like 1% higher than your cost growth, which can make any bad deal look good. And so we always try to have costs of rents um, grow at the same rate or even costs uh, growing faster in some cases like real estate taxes or insurance, which you've seen probably a lot of people get um, hit by recently as they've kind of outpaced uh, rent growth. Um, and then a couple other just qualitative things. I mean, we are very hungry and persistent, but I think we try to take a really patient approach with things, especially the last six months or so when deal volume has been very, very, very pressed. Um, we kind of have been trying to maintain that that focus to try to keep looking at deals. A lot of times don't make sense, but we just know that eventually we'll get to the point where they will be and just keeping the discipline um, so that we don't overextend on things um, when we shouldn't. Uh, and then finally, I would just say, just really priding ourselves on transparency, which I, I think I mentioned earlier, but um, we don't like to to um, like view things as like rose-colored glasses, um, really try to, um, when we give our updates to investors on a regular basis, you know, we're not just telling them everything that's going well, we're also making sure we're telling them the things that um, didn't go well um, and we, just like I've mentioned a couple of times, just really value that kind of long-term approach to things. All great qualities for a syndication sponsor to have. And with that note on transparency, uh, tell me about a problem that you've encountered with a real estate investment and how was it handled? Yeah, sure. Um, that's another one of the, the, the fun things about real estate is just all the unexpected stuff that comes up that you would never think about. Um, so on our, on our most recent investment, I think it was the first week um, I got a phone call that um, one of our ten tenants had slipped in the stairs, um, garden style apartments. So the, the stairs are outside. Um, they weren't seriously hurt or anything. But what would happen was, is that we were painting the exteriors of the of, of the buildings and the painters had put down some tarps and some coverings of the hand railing. So those were a little bit more slippy, slippery. And then also on top of that, um, not all of the utility contracts got transferred over. I think there was one missing. And so some of the exterior lights didn't have power. And so you had a dark stairwell that had some stuff that was left behind by the painting company and someone slipped, but they didn't get hurt. But, you know, within, after I got that phone call, uh, we immediately had maintenance out there putting up some emergency lights temporarily to kind of make sure it was well lit. And then the next day had the, all the utilities transferred over to the, to, to our new ownership and the lights back on and um, just kind of made sure that we addressed it in less than 
12 hours really. Um, and I think, uh, and I think the tenants kind of, while the person that tripped may have been frustrated, I think, I think a lot of them value the quick response. Um, I know, as I mentioned earlier, um, with some of those, some of the properties that we look at, you know, maintenance requests aren't always taken care of quickly. I think it was kind of a good showing in our first week of ownership that we were able to take this problem and address it really quickly, um, you know, before anything bad happened, really. Yeah, I hear you there. You know, you have the surprise of these things that pop up right away, but at the same time, you get to prove yourself to the residents to show like, <laughs> exactly. hey, you're taking it seriously and like, hey, things are improving. And so anyway. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for a speed round? Uh oh, um, yeah, I think so. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? Um, I think when you're doing the investing, it's kind of figuring out what the mystery of the property is. Um, like, why is this person selling? Is there something wrong with it that's causing them to sell? And like, how do you figure out the mystery so you can get to a no and move on to the next opportunity? I think that's really fun. And then after you actually made the acquisition, um, it is kind of can be rewarding to kind of see a property turn around and just sense kind of the improved curb appeal when you go back to it a few months later. Um, it's kind of like seeing all the work kind of pay off very tangibly is, is very rewarding. Absolutely. What do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it, as you know, as someone with a finance background, a lot of my time is you know spent behind the computer screen and and Excel models and things like that. Um, but you can't do everything behind a computer, and there's things that happen that you can't really anticipate or model. Um, and so you kind of have to always be prepared for the unexpected. Um, and it's never as passive as anyone will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, it's certainly um, a gradation level of passivity. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, what's a book that you can recommend to other investors? Um, I mean, there's a lot of books out there in real estate. Uh, one I read probably last year was Multifamily Millions. Um, I think it's it's probably I think it's a really popular book. Um, a lot of a lot of the books are really kind of cheesy and self promotional, but. Um, I think this one has a really a lot of really good practical advice for how to manage an asset and turn it around. And I'd encourage anyone that's getting into value add multifamily to to pick it up. Yep, that's a great book. How can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? Um, yeah, you can you can go to our website, uh, sweetbay-capital.com, or or search us on LinkedIn. You should be able to find us there as well. Um, you know, we're always looking for new interested investors. Um, and we've got some, hopefully have some upcoming opportunities that we'll be fundraising for here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so again, that's uh, sweetbay-capital.com is probably the best place to go. Great. I'll include that in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? Um, no, I think this is all good, Matt. Um, it's been really fun chatting with you and um, I just think uh, real estate can be a really good tool for for kind of building wealth long term. Um, and you know, after you do get that first investment closed and you start seeing um, some income come in on the side, it's 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 really rewarding. And um, anyone that can, I'd encourage to try to take a look at it. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tucker. I think you've added a lot of value to the audience here talking about deferred maintenance and finding the opportunities within. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Matt. You too. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.